Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Thibaut. And I'm Ara. Every week, we interview thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. During 30 to 45 minutes, we will deep dive into topics like modern prospection, pipeline management tactics, or innovative sales tools to help you navigate the complex world of B2B sales. We're on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever, yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to know more about our sales training and coaching programs, go to www.saleslabs.io. It's www.saleslabs.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, that's great. Actually, it's crazy. I feel like I know you. Uh, I guess it's maybe not the case with you, but like your, your face and your voice are so familiar. So it's, it's really cool. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. That's the whole reason why we do it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I've been actually listening to a bunch of podcasts you've done, the one with Rob. Uh, and, and that was like really cool. Like, I, I, you know, I didn't really know what we would be talking about, but now I have so many questions for you. So okay. it's, uh, I think that's going to be pretty cool. But before we start, can you maybe actually, where are you based? Are you in Boston or somewhere else? I am in East Tennessee. So I live at the base of the Smoky Mountains National Park. Okay. I have no clue where that is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm in the mountains. I'm in the country. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. That's much better than Boston, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like cities, but I like visiting them much more than living in them. Yeah, yeah. That's I'm originally I, I, from Miami, Florida, so you can imagine. Okay, yeah. I mean for me, like I live in Berlin and uh I mean I would I would never I mean I, I used to like to go to Paris, you know, I was sending to a lot of French customers and I loved being Parisian for three days, but no more really, because it's just yeah. like me there. Yeah, I, I've never been to Paris, uh, but my mother has, and it's on my list of places to visit. Um, okay. But so is Germany. I've been through Frankfurt. I, my wife and I spend a lot of time in West Africa, so we connect in Germany quite yeah. a bit. Uh, so I, I, we got on a train in Frankfurt. It was pretty fun. Okay. Okay, cool. Good. Um, so what do you want to talk about? Wait, like I sent you a bunch of options. Um, what, what would be the, the, the cool thing you want to talk about today? You know what, man, this is one of those, uh, this is going to sound weird, but like, I, I want to talk about anything. I like, okay. for me, I feel like the best thing to do is come into conversations and be ready to talk about yeah. stuff that you know about and be ready to admit it when you don't know something. <laughs> okay. Perfect. So that's how I always go into it, man. Like whatever you want to talk about, let's talk about it. I have, I have like my own set of things that we could talk about that I think are interesting. And usually I work them into the conversation. One of the number one things is like marketing and sales alignment, right? Yeah. That's mm -hmm. a huge hot topic. I'm sure you've talked about it a lot. Uh, but I have my own opinions. Uh, some of my friends like Scott Lease and Richard Harris have their own opinions about what it is. Um, so we've had conversations around that. I always like talking about jobs and like yeah. interviews for salespeople. I think interviewing people is like the craziest thing in the world because the only real test to know when somebody can sell is you have to hire them and see. Yeah. Because anyone can come in and present really well in the interview, right? But then it's time to execute. And sometimes that can be really challenging. Yeah. Uh, and I think we don't talk about that enough. You know, like 
there's so many like parts of it you, you'll see i have so many like it's just overwhelming okay. to me i think about this shit all the time <laughs> <laughs> that's good you get obsessed with that i think i really like people who are obsessed with different ideas because i think it's you really get to the core of it and then you 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 know you can really develop some kind of uh expertise and something i noticed is that i'm also the same with different things in sales and sometimes i go and talk with people and they're like man that makes a lot of sense i'm like yeah that's common sense no and they say no like you know it's like it's not we're obsessed with that all day long but for a lot of people they have so many other shit going on so that they don't they don't really know about that so yeah there there's a specific phrase that i listen for in conversations and here it is people that say to you oh i never looked at it that way yeah you probably heard that said to you. Oh, that's a great, what a great perspective. I've never looked at it that way. Yeah. Right? That, when somebody says that, you know that, that you've hit a nerve there. Exactly. And you've changed their perspective. That, yeah, that's, I really like this kind of, uh, of moments where you get into that. So yeah, it's good. Actually, you know what? I won't go and do a normal intro because I think we already have a great conversation. So let's just <laughs> go dive in and then, you know, it's, we just go like, like that. Okay. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, actually, I know a lot about you, but my auditors who are actually more in Germany, uh, they may not know about you. So can you just do some presentation about who you, who you are and what you're doing? Absolutely. So uh, my name is James Buckley, and I, I, you'll sometimes hear me referred to as James Say What Sales Buckley. Um, I started in the SaaS space from the door-to-door -door space. So I did door-to-door -door sales for a couple of years at a couple of different companies, uh, both residential and uh, B2B. So just mm -hmm. knocking on doors, talking to business owners, talking to managers, building relationships, building rapport. Um, and when I started in the SaaS space, I realized very quickly that if I could, if I could create something that drew people to me, I wouldn't have to chase business so hard because people would want to connect with me. And that was where everything started. Okay. So I started to create like one minute videos uh, for salespeople and that spawned Say What Sales, what is now Say What Sales. Uh, and I spent four years selling a product called Cirrus Insight. Uh, in 2019, I moved over to Ringlead, which was a data management ser service, data management platform, data governance platform, very robust. Uh, so learned all about data. Uh, and then from there, uh, just this last year, uh, someone that I've been very, very strongly connected to in the sales space, John Barrows reached out to me and said, I'd love to bring you on the team uh, because I love what you got going on. And I, you know, normally you'd, you'd say, well, let me talk to my wife and I'll get back to you. But in this instance, I was like, yes, absolutely. I'm in. So, so that's, that's kind of how I got where I'm at in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, so now I'm training sales teams. I go around and I, I help people and deliver skills that will help them better manage their pipeline or better prospect or better research in an organization or a prospect at an organization that falls into their ideal customer profile. Okay. Okay. Great. And, and also, so, so on the, I'm also a big fan of John. Uh, we interviewed him last week in the, the podcast also. So yeah, uh, my, my fiance did that. So it was really cool. And, and so, yeah, there's John, there's Morgan, there's you. And the question is like, do you have your own content that you provide to sales teams or, or how is he, how are you doing? Yeah. So it's sort of an amalgamation of content right now. I'm learning to deliver the filling the funnel workshop. So any companies out there that have large teams of SDRs, my first goal is to start coming out and teaching teams how the John Barrows way affects prospecting or how the JB sales way affects prospecting. So, you know, filling your funnel, getting the right people into your pipeline, uh, targeting your personas, finding that ideal customer that works for you, 
being able to deliver your message properly, being able to format emails and run an effective cold call. How do all these things happen, right? So many salespeople come into the game and they start out as SDRs and they're there for a year to 18 months. And there's really like not a lot of training that goes into the nuances that it takes to be an effective salesperson. Yeah. Effective salespeople have a lot of character nuances, things that they do, ways that they say things, deliverables that they provide to prospects that create value. Uh, there, there's no silver bullets, yeah. but there is structure and there is a right way to build an opportunity. I, I've been noted for saying that the common misconception is that opportunities are created and they're not, they are earned every step of the way. Okay, love that they are earned. That's a really cool way to say that. So actually, I have a concept I've been thinking of lately, uh, and I'd like to run it by you. Uh, you're, you can steal it if you want. That's, that's all good. You know, I think we're there for that. Um, but so, you know, like the, the, I think the pool of people we're hiring as SDR or BDR in junior, you know, often they are millennials. And what's like really contradictory with millennials is that they always have their phones in their hands, but they don't know how to use that to call people. However, they really know how to use that to create live stories, snaps, and these kind of things. So they know how to create content. And so what I'm thinking of is actually creating or changing the job of the SDR to be more of a content creator that draws, atten draws attention to you, actually. And then you can proactively use that content, can be podcasts, interviews, like say what says, one minute videos, and send that to uh, ideal customer profiles. What do you think of that? I love it. So I, so I talk about this a lot, but here's the thing is that you've got to earn the right to be a content creator representing your company. You can't be two days in just learning a platform, just learning a culture, just learning a product and immediately turn your phone on and become a, a thought leader or an yeah. expert, right? You've got to earn that right. And I have to be honest, even more so, marketing has to give you the green light to be able to literally represent the company. Because if you don't have that, that what's, what's the best word, right? The, the universal language, right? Don't say it this way, say it this way, right? Mm -hmm. Marketing always controls that image, that branding image. You, you need to work in tandem with them as an SDR to best represent yourself as a valuable connection. Because the, the default is that we all want to get online and we want to turn our camera on and we want to start talking about our product. We want to start talking about our solutions. We want to talk about the values that we bring. And to a degree, that's great. But if you're just self-representing the product and hoping that you're going to catch a fish that way, you're not creating content that's valuable for your community. You're creating content that's valuable for you. Yeah. Right? That sucks. Nobody engages with that type of content. Yeah. You know, they would much rather engage with content that's a tip that helps them change their perspective, a tip that helps them add something to their repertoire of, pi yeah. of pipeline management tools that they typically whip out when they're working a deal, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, yes, I think SDRs should be creating content, but no, I don't think that they should get hired and immediately start talking yeah. about their products online. That could lead to disastrous results. You would okay. almost rather a collaboration happened between marketing and sales that enables sales development reps to manage a calendar of content that makes sense so that marketing could have a hand in helping them design a content strategy that makes sense and feeds their pipeline the right way. Okay. 
that's a very interesting perspective actually because that's something I, I hear a lot is like how as a you know beginning sdr do you know sdr can i actually start building content and what i often say is that don't build content about your company or anything just talk about your daily life what you're struggling with and if you're selling something i don't know in sales or you know that's always easier because then you know you have girls like sarah brazier she's doing that at outreach uh, sorry gong <laughs> uh, and so she's uh, she's creating a lot of contents around that and, and that's really interesting for a lot of people, draws a lot of attention. So I always recommend to do this kind of thing. But if let's say I'm a SDR in a company selling, I don't know, uh, POS, like point of sales like that, what kind of content can I build for these kind of ICPs? Yeah, so again, it doesn't necessarily have to be content around that particular vertical, that particular product, or even those solutions. You can be a personal brand that puts out entertaining con content. You can be a personal brand that speaks to that specific audience without addressing any issues. One of the best questions that an SDR can get asked is, hey, what do you actually sell? Right. I see you out here all the time. I see all your content. I love what you're saying. What do you sell? That's the best question. Oh, you don't know what I sell? That's perfect. When can we talk? Yeah. Right? <laughs> or, good. hey, you know, I did some research into your company and I saw that you sell this, but you don't really talk about it much. Can we talk about it? Absolutely. Right? Content can be completely value driven for a totally separate situation, totally different scenario, but still lead to the same result. Mm -hmm. But you have to put valuable content out there for a community and draw those people in. It does help if that content is targeted towards a specific buyer persona. It does help if it's tied to a specific vertical, but it doesn't have to be, <clears throat> nor does it have to be all the time. You can create content one week about one thing and mm -hmm. the next week about another. All that does is pull diversity your way. Isn't yeah. that what it's all about? Buyers come from all different directions. You yeah. know, you're not going to be able to target just this one persona and win, win, win all the time. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to work that bottom up approach. Some account executive somewhere will see that content and make an introduction for you. That introduction leads to the CEO. The CEO builds a relationship with you. And it might've taken six months, a year to close that deal. But if it closes for 150K, wasn't it worth it? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really a cool perspective, actually. Like it's, it's, yeah, I think I've never thought about that this way, actually. And uh, you're, yeah, I think that's really There it cool. is. I've yeah. never thought about that this way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no, that's, that's really cool. And um, there's one thing you, you talked about into a, a previous podcast. Um, it's, it's like about kind of being in the face of your ideal customer profile. So where you, you kind of create content and uh, outreach proactively to a lot of people, like in a company, let's say you do your top 30 accounts, tier one account, and then you basically talk to everyone or get in, in the face of everyone. So do you have some kind of like really actionable tactics we could use for that on how to get in front of these people? So it's actually not a tactic, but it is more of a long-term method. What I typically will do is if I'm reaching out to an account that I don't have any contacts at, I start at the low level, right? That's, that's the best way to do it because those SDRs, those AEs, they're going to like and comment and share. They're going to be exposed to your content. It might take a few months for you to build up 10, 15 different contacts at this company. But inevitably, what ends up happening is that senior leadership sees your content because they're following all their own people. Yeah. Suddenly you're exposed, right? Suddenly 
these people are all viewing your content and they're coming inbound at you on LinkedIn. Some of them are reaching out on Facebook. Some of them are following you on Twitter, right? They heard about you through a colleague. These are all open doors for, hey, what kind of value have you gotten out of my, my content? You know what? I'd, re I'd really love a conversation with you sometime. I see that you're the head of sales. Is there somebody else there that's making training decisions or making decisions on data management or managing Salesforce, depending on your ideal persona that you sell to, mm -hmm. right? You can go to one or if not multiple of these individuals that have followed you over the course of two, three months. And you could say, I want a conversation about this. Who should I talk to? And they're more than happy to give you an introduction yeah. because you are familiar to them because they see you every day in their feed. Because when they watch your videos, they go, oh, I never thought of it that way, yeah. right? That type of stuff. When they read your blog article, they take away multiple things that they add to their pipeline. You already sit in a place of value in their mind. So yeah. when you say, I want to help you more, they're like, oh my God, how can I help you help me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And uh, you know, one thing I started posting like since January, like every day with like clear content strategy and you know, like often, so I'm, I'm very competitive, not in sports. I'm like, I know I'm, I'm shit in sports, but like in, in other things I am. And I see some guys content exploding and everything. And uh, actually I see mostly likes and everything. I, I'm talking specifically about LinkedIn, but not so yeah. many comments. And what I've, no, uh, I've noticed in my posts is that you don't have too many likes. But the amount of comments I had, uh, I have right now and the engagement on every post is crazy. So people are starting to really talk. And so they give me a lot of, of you know, of info and I ask them questions, say, hey, like today, for example, I did a post about how I got ghosted like crazy by a customer. And I asked people to tell me why, you know, I gave the situation, the context. And they told me, you know, I say, okay, why do you think I got ghosted? And I got like 20, 30 answers. And that was really amazing. And I got seven likes. So like, what's your, your opinion on, on content and what you should be optimizing for? So my, my opinion is not to focus, and, and I say this pretty regularly, or at least I think I say it in some way, shape, or form pretty regularly. Vanity metrics is kind of a, a, a subjective term. Mm -hmm. It's great to get 5,000 views, but if I don't get any opportunities out of it, who cares, right? If yeah. it, it's, great, it's great to get... 25, 30, 80 likes. It's great to get that. But if it doesn't yield any value for your pipeline and you don't feel you've provided any value to an individual as a result of that post, who cares, right? In the end, engagement is what you should be after, yeah. right? Engaged parties. I value five really amazing, thoughtful comments, way more than a thousand views. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Because those thoughtful comments do two things. One, they add, they add to the exposure of the post, which is great. Mm -hmm. Two, they make me think like I impacted somebody, right? I helped them and, or I've engaged them in a conversation where they can help me. Either one of those is a value add, which is positive. Yeah. The problem that people have is that they put a post out there and they get two, three likes, they get 200 views and they get one comment from their mom, right? <laughs> yeah. and, they, and, and they go, I'm a content creator. You created some <laughs> content, yes. But just because you create one video every six months, you can't label yourself then a content creator. Content creators create content all the time. Mm -hmm. I try, like I've noticed that exposure on LinkedIn has kind of dipped a little bit since they updated 
a few things in their algorithm slash in their privacy policy, yeah. whatever they've changed. I've noticed that it's gone down. You know what? I don't care because the people that follow me for the content will go find it. Yeah. Right. They will say things to themselves like, oh, I haven't seen James in a while. What's he been up to? And they'll come find it. Yeah. It's okay. You want those types of followers to be engaged with your stuff because they provide value. When it comes to content from salespeople, they should always be focused on two things. One, the value they're delivering. Two, the value they're getting out of that post, right? Okay. Those are the two things that they should be focused on when creating content. Not how many views, how many likes. All that stuff is irrelevant if you're not going to do anything with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And uh, yeah, have you heard of engagement pods? Um. I mean, maybe I, it sounds so, familiar. Tell me about it. What do you got? It's like when you, 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 you may have seen a lot of them on LinkedIn. So you have someone who's post, posting something and they have kind of big groups of thousands of people around common interest and you post there and people are like, Hey, go and like fast. So people like, and they say, great fire. But they, they, and then, you know, it goes like crazy on LinkedIn. You got like hundreds, if not thousands of likes and views. And it's kind of really crappy content. Well, so part of this comes from people. Okay, so you're talking about engagement groups that are being created where people are always sending it out saying, hey, share and like this, right? That yeah. kind of stuff. So I yeah. get a lot of that stuff. And I'll tell you what's honest. My honest opinion about it is if you have people, a small circle that occasionally you go to and you say, will you like this? Will you share this? And there's purpose behind it. Like, for example, if you're trying to drive traffic to a workshop you're doing in another city. Yeah. Reaching out to people that are in that area or people that aren't in that area that have good connections in that area to say, would you mind sharing this for me? That seems to make a lot of sense because yeah. there's purpose behind it. You're trying to drive people towards your event. But if you're writing an article about uh, politics, which is pretty common these days, mm -hmm. and you want me to share it, and my brand is never to post about politics... Yeah there's a good chance I'm not going to post that. And even if I did, what would that response be like? So you have to be really choosy with who you're creating this group with. And then at the same time, you can't just do it with every post. Yeah. You have to pick and choose the right times. It's great to do it occasionally, but too many people posting the same thing, LinkedIn will just toggle that and kind of throttle that exposure. Yeah. And I think there are exceptions to that, right? Like, it's hard to toggle John. John has, you know, half a million followers, right? Mm -hmm. It's like insane the amount of exposure he gets in an hour. But yeah. that kind of stuff happens over time. John's been exactly. doing this 20 years. You know, you can't, just, you can't just jump online and hope for the best and be like, why am I only getting 20 views, 20 likes? Yeah. Well, how many videos have you created this year? A two, you know, all right. Well, maybe if you created more than two videos a year, you would see more momentum and more yeah. progressive, right? But because they didn't see instant results, they give up on it. They go, I don't have time for that. Yeah. There's always time, always yeah. time to do the job. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And uh, that's the thing, you know, is this, this kind of hack culture. So I learned a lot of hacks that are really interesting and everything. But in the end, they should, you should never forget the long game. And, and it's really about consistency. You can use some hacks here and there because they, they help. But you, you, you can't just base your whole strategy on that. And I see a lot of people who are doing that. And they go really quickly to 20, 30,000 followers. And that's crazy because then they post something and there's three likes, one comment. Yep. So you're like, okay, that's, you know, so they, be, they basically build the click farms. 
Well, yeah, I mean, look, and, and you see this a lot, right? Uh, and, you know, I hate to call it out because it's like a terrible thing that's happening, but there are a lot of, quote unquote, VPs of marketing or VPs of content or, you know, call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. If, if, you're, if you're supposedly a thought leader and you're representing yourself, when I go, when I scroll down and I talk about vanity metrics earlier, right? If I scroll down and I see that you have 11 followers, it's hard for me to take your VP-ness seriously, yeah. right? Like it's a tough thing for us to really realize what's happening because we're being prospected by a company and we're like, what's this company, right? And you look and they want to connect with you. There's like this deceitful nature. Oh, you know what? I put a video out this morning about this. There's a deceitful nature in sales in the sense that we're trying to trick our prospects all the time. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to fool them into having a conversation with us, right? Yeah. That's it. We're trying, to, we're trying to trick them. I gotcha, right? That's, that's the bad way to start the relationship off, right? It's much better to start that relationship off by saying, I have this value here and I would love mm -hmm. to show it to you. When can we connect? I find that to be way better than, hi, is Roland there? I'm sorry, you must have the wrong number. Oh, well, maybe you can help me. And then they just pitch for five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I, I feel you're burning to talk about it, uh, sales and marketing alignment, because you talk about marketing a lot. So tell me what's your opinion on that and uh, what's wrong. So we heard a lot about the, the chief revenue officer role coming there. And I talk a lot, I hear a lot like Richard and uh, Harrison Scott Lee's on that. I also interviewed Scott yesterday, by the way. And, nice. Uh, and they kind of go crazy on, the, on that. So Richard is ranting about that, this alignment. Scott is more ranting about the tenure for VP sales. So they have their common themes. But what's yeah. your opinion on that? So we, Scott and Richard and I have all had a couple conversations about this now. And I, so first of all, I think the tenure for sales leaders is based on what we've seen in the last decade or so, mm -hmm. right? okay, Scott's got extensive experience there and he can tell you that there's a lot of reasons why the tenure is what it is. I think the, the bigger, better picture is mostly the reason why sales leaders leave. They get an offer from something else and even if it's a little bit better, they feel like they have to, they're obligated to take that role on, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's a big driver. Another thing I think is that they get frustrated fighting senior leadership. Sales leaders only go so far when it comes to holding the purse strings. Most of the time they need approval for anything over X amount of a spend. Yeah. And a lot of times that gets shot down. Well, that can only happen so many times before that sales leader goes, you know what? I'm going to start looking for a company that actually wants me to do what I want to do here and starts giving me the green light. So yeah. I see that as a problem pretty frequently as well. Um, when it comes to sales and marketing alignment, I think that there is a discussion right now as to where the SDR actually fits into the organization. I think we're past the point where the question is whether or not they're relevant. I believe they will always be relevant in some way, shape or form because somebody has to qualify someone. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to do the, the, the hard stuff. Somebody has to say, what are you looking for? Are you a serious buyer? Can I offer you some value and get you to agree that this is worthy of your time before we move forward? Somebody will always have to do that job, right? Mm -hmm. the, I think the question now is, is it part of marketing or is it part of sales? And I think it is 
not one or the other, but both or neither, right? It could yeah. be either way. Uh, and there's, there have been a couple of conversations that we've had now, Scott, Richard, myself in that space about like, and, and John too, John's got his own opinions. Morgan's got his own opinions as the SDR Chronicles host and somebody mm -hmm. that cut his teeth in ABM at Terminus. Like when you, when you really look at it, I think what matters is where does the SDR fit when it comes to value for your prospects? Because yeah. they may not always fit at the beginning of the sales cycle. They might fit at the, at the end of the marketing cycle. They may not fit at the end of the marketing cycle, but rather in cold outreach, right? So, so it just depends on how you're going to structure the team and where that value might lie for your prospect, which of course is going to depend a lot on your product or service. How, yeah. how does that benefit the prospects that you're selling into? How does it translate to them as far as value is concerned because we all have that different definition right yeah yeah so so there's a big discussion around it and i'm curious to see where it's going to land when it comes to who holds the the purse strings for sdr because if marketing has their way sdr is the people that they send out to events and the, the person that they represents the company when it comes to content it's the person that they can put qualified prospects in front of and they can have conversations around what they're looking for and then pass them to closers that get on a call and get that money in the bank, get that deal signed. Uh, or if it's sales, they're the people that are cold calling, cold emailing, yeah. prospecting all the time. They never leave their seat. They're always at their computer, right? Those are very different roles. And I think what we're seeing now is this amalgamation of the SDR role overall. And it's translating into all these different you know, kind of prototypes of what it yeah. can be versus what it once was. Inter yeah, interesting. And I guess that's the right time to write a book to replace predictable revenue uh, because it's, uh, everyone's kind of <laughs> bitching on, on the model. And, and I think it's, it's structured really the way we're doing sales and but things, you know, it has to change. And uh, the one who will find this kind of framework that works for everyone will, yeah, will sell a lot, a lot of books, I think. I, so there is a framework that works for everyone. And I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a decision that we're going to make. Are we going to be agile? Are we going to be able to adapt? Are we going to be able to move around in the structure that we put in place? Or will it be very rigid? Yeah. Right? Those, those decisions have to be made when designing a framework. I, is it a framework or a culture that will work for everyone? There is a culture yeah. that is universal out there that will work for everyone. But every framework I feel will look different because it's impossible to be universal when it comes to framework for your company and yeah. your sales process. But it is possible to be universal when it comes to what the right thing to do is from a sales perspective. And I think any sales leader worth their salt will tell you that doing the right thing is way more important than making the sale. Yeah. Right. I really like that, the concept of culture of a framework. So you should definitely write a book. I think uh, if <laughs> you should. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely something that I think we could expand on. Um, you know, you, the, the reason I thought of culture was because you said framework that works for everybody. I have a hard time believing that there is such a thing out there. I think, yeah. that, I think that given the diversity in, you know, geographicals, given the diversity in beliefs, the diversity in ethos, the diversity in product itself or service itself, or even the diversity in leadership could dramatically change that framework. Mm -hmm. But what you could set in stone is a culture of right and wrong. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. You shouldn't tell people that we do something that we don't. That's wrong, right? You should tell people that we do this really well, but we struggle here. That's yeah. the right thing to do, yeah. right? I think, yeah, in terms of, of culture, if I, if I could add on that. So for me, something I learned like recently, I mean, not so recently, but like I, I started in sales and I used to think I had to have all the answers about products and everything and showing that I don't know was like, something something bad but now i see yeah. being authentic is like a differentiating element when you you show your failures and you show your learnings people are drawn to you because they're like oh finally someone who's not bragging about how amazing their lives is and, and just showing they're also struggling and then they relate and the bond you create is insane so i think it's if you can just say oh i don't know and be and own your mistakes i think that's that's really crazy if you can do that well so in the, in the SDR world, it actually benefits them to be willing to admit what they don't know. And here's what I mean. Our tendency, our want, our desire, when we start a new sales role or even about a year in, we still feel like we have to have all the answers. So customers, prospects that we're on calls with, they, they just hammer us with questions. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, what about this? And what do you do with that? And if I have this set up, can you guys do this? And our tendency, our desire is to be like, yep, yep, we can do all that. Oh, you know what? Let me tell you all about this feature. Oh, you know, I'm going to answer this for you, but I'm going to answer it this way. You know, I'm going to send this document to you. Here's my question to SDRs that are out there listening to this. If you've already given your prospect all the answers that they could ever need, why would they want to meet with your account executive and see the product? Two. You have to leave them with the knowledge they asked for to a point, right? Uh, some people will say three and out, right? You can ask me three questions. And if you have a fourth one, I'm going to assume that you're interested. And hey, that's a great question. Your account executive can answer that on the demo, mm -hmm. right? That might seem like you're trying to be cagey and withhold information right there. And I'm not saying that you should set that rule in stone. What I am saying is a demo is one of the shittiest things that people do, right? Nobody wants the demo. Can I get a demo scheduled with you? Is like plague in the sales process, right? Yeah. Do you want to see it seems to work much better, right? The yeah. reason is because that word demo has the worst connotation in buyer brains. Yeah. <laughs> the moment they hear, can we get a demo scheduled? They want to tuck tail and run far away from you <laughs> as they possibly can. So instead, we have to be that team that's like, you know, this does sound like a great fit. I'd love to show you more. How does Wednesday at three look? Yeah. Don't say the word demo. Don't say walkthrough, right? Those things just equal demo in the brain. Yeah. It's probably going to be something that you want to start looking at how you're going to split it up too. Once the demo gets there, don't show them 75 slides and read to them. They can do that, right? Yeah. Ask them what's important to them. Narrow the scope down. Focus on what they need, right? Then you've hit a nerve there. Yeah, exactly. Do you know Skip Miller? He's a... Um... The name is familiar. Listen, when 15,000 people follow you, it's really hard, right? Everybody asks us, me, Morgan, and John, they all ask, do you know this person? Sometimes we're like, yeah, I definitely know. Like if somebody says, do you know Richard Harris? I'm like, yes, I love Richard. I, we're very I close. Hope... I, I hope when someone asks, do you know Thibaut Suris, you, you, you know who you are, you know, who's that? I will but, say yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's the dude with the French accent. But <laughs> to, to come back with a skip, so he's a, he's a trainer who uh, he has his own company. And he's a, you know, it's like, he actually is the reason I, I started my own business. And he has a, a way there where he's never doing a demo. A demo and, and so it's, it's about like finding, like he calls that like the quantified problem. 
So he wrote a lot of books about that. It's like quantified problem, quantified solution. And so he is, I'm really about never showing a demo for me. It's, all, it's, it's almost like they need to deserve that by actually signing a contract. And so he has a way, it's very interesting to follow. I also interviewed him on the podcast. And it's about like, you find what he calls trains. So like projects that are big enough to, to actually get the customer to move. And often the demo is not that important to the decision maker. They just want to know if you're going to save them money or make them money. And this is also a really cool and interesting approach that I, I like to teach also. I think that's interesting. Yeah, you can provide enough value to the point where if you're going to show somebody your product, it's really just to cover all the bases, right? Yeah. Um, so I've got this thought in my brain. You could tell me what you think about this. And I've been thinking about this for like six months now, right? But there's this element, I think, of collaboration that salespeople aren't exploring enough of. Um, you can work a deal to a point where you're pretty confident that it's going to close, right? Even if you're keeping score, so to speak, you're like, all right, this shows all the signs that it's going to, it's going to close. Yeah. And the, the tendency to, for salespeople that I think they have is like, all right, what can I say? How can I reach out to push this one over the edge? Here's my, my tip, right? Here's this thing I think we should be looking at. What else can we do after they purchase? Mm -hmm. If you can figure that out, I think that's the thing to focus on that'll get it over the edge. So okay. here's a great example. Um, this is a true story. I once had somebody close with us that was a relatively good deal. It was like uh, small in the sense that it, it didn't quite meet our minimum uh, close. But I said to him, thank you so much for, for the, the business. We appreciate it. Why don't you come on into the studio next time you're in town and we'll create some content about why you bought it. To him, I provide value because he's a content creator mm -hmm. and he wants the content to be able to share on his social channels, yeah. right? Him and I also get a chance to solidify a friendship that we had for a long time just online in person, right? Mm -hmm. We had had a couple of run-ins you know, through the ecosystem in the past, but in this instance, we, he bought from me. We initially set up the, the meeting so that we could create content together. We create the content and then he shares it. Anyone that engages with him falls right into my ideal customer profile, right? Yeah. So I start reaching out to them. The key here is that while we were doing the deal, I was very upfront about getting him into the studio when it was all said and done so that we could create this content. Yeah. He was focused on getting in to do the content after the deal. It was almost as if he thought the thought process was, of course, I'm going to do business with you, but what's next? Yeah. That's, I think that's a really, really cool approach. Never thought about it this way because we always go for this. Second you time know, you said uh, that. That's the second time you said yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's like a lot, of, uh, a lot of good learnings here. But like this, you know, we always go for the bell. You know, we want to ring the bell, close the deal, and then that's it, celebrate. But if you go and get this collaborative approach where what's next, you know, once we close that deal, you know, how do we go and build the relationship to close another one? I mean, that's, that's more like a way, but like, how do we make more business together? And, and that's something I think it's not incentivized enough because we often go for new business only, or, you know, we, we just go and want to lend more logos. And I think like expanding this relationship is something really smart. So that's, well, I think unique. leaders tend to limit their salespeople's abilities to build networks that lead to revenue yeah. because they don't allow them to step outside the KPIs right? What, what KPIs are you looking at? The number of calls they make every day. All right. The number of emails they send every day. All right. What else? 
that's typically the response, yeah. right? Yeah. What else are you tracking? Uh, okay, well, are you tracking LinkedIn touches? No. Okay, well, how many of those do you think are happening every day? Well, I don't know. Let's ask the sales teams. When you ask sales teams, how often do you reach out to a prospect on LinkedIn? They're going to tell you every day, constantly. But yeah. none of that's being tracked, usually, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're missing the boat on that. So you have to enable these sales reps to actually represent your company in a social setting, in a public yeah. setting. That's very hard for leaders to do because it means they have to let go of control. Mm -hmm. If they let go of control, something bad could happen. And then who's responsible? They are. Yeah. They are. Yeah. They're the person that gets held on, of, over the coals by the senior leadership yeah. or the board, the things they report back to. Yeah, no, that's, you're right. And I think that's uh... That's also our jobs as sales trainers to kind of enable people to, uh, you know, just to think outside of that and work with, um, with the, you know, the leadership. So they just don't follow like this kind of metrics. And uh, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's one big problem of the, let's say model we had with KPIs and metrics that is purely focused on that. I learned sales with that and it really worked for me. But now that I have my own business and I just have the freedom to do whatever I want, like I see this kind of network and the compounding effect of it. And this is like, it's hard to measure, but like it's, yeah, I think it's, it's about educating people so they just don't focus on the metrics. I think that, okay, so tip on measuring, tip on tracking and measuring. Um, if it's possible for you to create a field in Salesforce to report on, and it, it is possible, right? People do this all the time. Then you can measure and track just about anything. Yeah. Right. Like, like, so, so, and, and here's the other question. Is it the responsibility of the salesperson to track and measure? Or is it the responsibility of the leaders to track and measure? Because salespeople should be selling, right? Yeah. That means that I shouldn't give two shits about whether or not that LinkedIn message got saved to Salesforce. It should yeah. be there. Yeah, exactly. Right? Are, are we enabling our salespeople to worry about the things they should be worried about? That's the question mm -hmm. because we all come to our salespeople and we want measurements and tracking. Show me that, right? That's the leadership thing. Show yeah. me that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I want to see where it happened. If it didn't happen in Salesforce, it didn't happen in reality. Right. <laughs> you hear that all the time. All the time. <laughs> you know, all the time. Yeah. You know, sorry. We're, you know, you don't get credit for that because it's not in Salesforce. You know, that's yeah. like a salesperson's worst nightmare. Yeah. You know, I worked so hard on that. Yeah. It, whose responsibility is it, right? That's the question. I think if we can get the leaders doing the tracking and measuring and the reporting, salespeople will have more time to actually sell. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, very interesting. Good. So I, I think we're nearing the, uh, the end of our time. Uh, so now is, you really deserved it. So if you have anything to pitch, to plug, to kind of brag about, that's your time. Ah. So tell us a, a bit more about that. Yeah, so I would love to have conversations with VPs of sales, uh, sales enablement leaders, and uh, CROs. Those are the people that I talk to the most about what I can do for their sales, how I can boost their processes, how I can make changes that make a difference for their salespeople, change the perspective so that activities go up, results go up. 
uh, up and to the right is kind of where it's at for us. We want to see that every time we come out and train a team. So definitely reach out to me. I give my cell phone out to every single person on every podcast. I love your cold call. I want your cold call. If you call me and it is a script, I will call you out on it just so you know. <laughs> but feel free to call me at 305-632-6005 or you can email me at james at jbarrows.com. Um, I, I absolutely adore new connections. I've never met a stranger. I am the type of person that will always respond. Feel free, reach out. I look forward to it. That's the way it goes. Okay. And so if you're calling outside of the US, you had 001 before the uh, 305, I think. So there you go. Nice. Make, yeah. <laughs> so localized uh, that. And so where can people get more of you? So on LinkedIn or what's the, what's the best place to get in? So I'm everywhere. If you look up the hashtag, say what sales, S-A-Y-W-H-A-T-S-A-L-E-S. If you just look up the hashtag, say what sales, I am on every social media platform out there. So feel free, follow me. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm mostly on LinkedIn. You can always reach me on LinkedIn. Uh, I love Facebook to death. I find that people on Facebook are so crazy, the things they post. I love watching their feeds. Um, and then Twitter, Twitter's one of those things like I'm in and out of Twitter probably two or three times a day, just sort of catching up and following people that uh, I think are uh, just incredible value adds to my community of sales reps uh, and sales leaders. So, uh, and I like Instagram too. I'm all over Instagram. So okay. follow me on Instagram. That's, that's the bomb. Okay, you're everywhere. So I'm going to uh, post like a few links, uh, maybe not all of yeah. them, but like a bunch of links in the episode and definitely your number so people can reach out. And uh, you got to yeah. be where your prospects are. Yeah. That's why I'm everywhere. <laughs> you're everywhere. They're everywhere. That's good. That's good. So thanks so much, James. That was super insightful. I had like two, three warm moments and uh, I think people will really enjoy the, the show. So thanks so much for coming. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs>